3: Uh, welcome to "It Could Happen Here," the podcast that's happening here right now in your ears. It could happen. E- e- ear. I'm Robert Evans. Um, I'm I'm not with any of my normal uh, uh, co-hosts today because. Because fuck them, no. Because I'm I'm elsewhere in the world right now, hanging out with someone you might remember from a special episode we recently did on Molotov cocktails. Journalist James Stout.
4: Hi everyone. Yeah, I'm here with Robert uh, in a tiny hotel room, and we've just woken up ready to do some podcasting. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, uh, we're not we're not here for any specific purpose. We just decided let's rent a hotel room, cast some pods, you know, hang out. Um, James, how do you feel about the border?
4: Negatively. Uh, broadly speaking, I think the border is a tool that we use to harm and kill the most marginalized people in the world. Um, I think that's kind of borne out by stats as well. So yeah, not a big, not a big border guy.
3: Yeah, and, and you and I recently spent a decent amount of time on the Texas-Mexico chunk of the border, specifically near McAllen, Texas hanging out at a butterfly sanctuary that people can learn some things about if they Google will be coming out that those episodes will be dropping in the not too distant future. Um, But you live on the San Diego side of the border, um, which if people don't know, San Diego, California is basically in Mexico. Um, you can, you can hop over across for like lunch and stuff if you really want to and don't mind dealing with CBP. Um, and yeah, so I, you've done a lot of reporting around the border and about kind of the, the system of violence that it represents. Um, I wanted to chat a little bit like about that and I wanted to chat about some of the organizations that you've run into that are doing good work out there. Cause there's a lot that needs to be done.
4: Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I think it's really important to like conceptualize what's happening at the border in terms of like uh the border is a tool for state violence, right? State violence against marginalized people and like what the the good groups groups helping people on the border represent is like ways of us helping each other which are outside the networks of us having power over each other, right? So uh, in the broader spectrum of like mutual aid, of mutual support, like I think they're really important to focus on rather than kind of so many people construct the border in their minds. Like uh, you can see, if you go back on my Twitter, some guy just being like, "That is not the border. The border does not look like that. The border is barren and it's desert and it's full of people with guns, <laughs> and it's really not right." Like, so the border exists as like this mental construct, a place where we can do like political theater, especially on the right. So people who are actually down there on the ground and understand it, I think it's uh, it, it's vital to support them.
3: Yeah, one of the more striking moments to me when we were in McAllen was. Hanging out near this chunk of border fence that had been constructed by, unlike by volunteers, effectively, um, and it's this, it's 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 what you would expect, like the stereotype of the border. It's this huge military industrial-looking thing. The wildlife has been cleared from around it so that you can have this towering steel edifice. But then, a hundred yards away across the Rio is the Mexican side of the border, and there's like couple of goat farms and like a little restaurant with a, a little dock so people can like, you know, take their little boats out and people are drinking and there's party music playing. And like, it's, it's nice. It's pastoral and green. It was, it looked like a lovely place. It looked much nicer than hanging out by the giant steel tower.
4: Yeah. I found that all along the border, actually. Like we, our side of the border looks like something from, I don't know, like Blade Runner or something. Like it's this giant dystopian steel construct with, with people with guns, with watchtowers. And it's horrific, right? Like it, Cuts through some of the most beautiful and important landscapes we have, right through the high desert, uh, through these very fragile places. Um, and and like it's important, I think people understand as well what the border wall looks like, right? Because you've probably seen a photograph of giant ass wall, um, and that is part of it. But they call it the border wall ecosystem, and what that involves is the wall itself, uh, sometimes a ditch, sometimes not a ditch, um, and then a road that's wide enough for two of the. F-150 Raptors that Border Patrol like to drive um, to pass each other and then an access road to that. And then generally there's also an access road cut that allows construction vehicles to get to build all of that. So it's not just some spikes in the desert. It, it's fucking destroying this this beautiful part of of both of Mexico and the United States, right?
3: Now, before we get into some of these organizations, I'm wondering... First off, when did you start reporting on the US Mexico border? And is there any kind of specific events that that you can recall that really kind of ignited your your interest uh in in this particular like part of the United States and this particular part of like our ongoing social conflict?
4: Yeah, like I've always been interested in borderlands like academically uh in and as part of my PhD um but I guess I'd probably about eight or nine years I've been reporting on the border. The thing that really sort of uh, took it from being like a, the border is sometimes a thing I write about. I did a lot of outdoor writing about the border too, right? I was very interested in getting more people to go outside in Baja, California. because It's amazing. Um, and you should do it. But uh, what really sort of, I guess, made me be like, oh fuck, this is fucking horrible, um, is the, the 2018 quote unquote migrant caravan, right? Um, so I'd been... Down just just enjoying a weekend uh, in uh, a little further south and a little further south of Tijuana and uh, having there's a really good wine country there so we've been checking out these these wine places uh, and and just enjoying ourselves um, and we come back and then these people are in um, what's called the Benito Juarez Sports Complex it's just a baseball field and it's raining and it's November and it looks like the fucking uh, like Battle of the Somme in there you know it's mud there are little children. And like, I've been in these situations before. I've, I've seen uh, situations with displaced people before, but there was something that just broke my heart about like, um, so obviously we, we're going to go in, right? We're going to see what's going on. We're going to see what we can do to help. Uh, and there were little kids. I remember there was this little girl. I mean, this one still makes me really sad, right? But she would find me. There were thousands of people there. Every single time I came, she would find me, She uh, found me the first day. Uh, and, uh, she would like uh we'd talk for a little bit about what she was doing. And then she was standing like halfway up her little shins in, in mud. And she didn't have anywhere to like shower or be clean, you know, she was living in a sort of tarp shelter and it just fucking broke my heart. Um so I used to she used to like clap my hair a lot, so I'd carry her around. And that was just like this realization for me like of how cruel this thing is uh shortly thereafter of course the police stood in the parking lot of the tommy hilfiger discount store in order to fire tear gas at some of the most marginalized and desperate people uh, certainly in that part of the world right and just that
3: it's it's a scene that like yeah that would if you put that in a movie you would be like this is a little bit heavy handed right yeah. Have, having them shoot <laughs> from the Tommy Hilfiger at the desperate migrants that's a little bit heavy
4: yeah it, it, yeah it, it's it's just this advanced fucking parody of where we are as a society but yeah the uh, the DHS helicopter is taking off from the Tommy Hillfinger store mm-hmm. to fire tear gas grenades at the at the children who just want a safe place to sleep
3: I had a moment like that in a protest where the Portland police we were in um. Uh, North Portland um, which is like in a neighborhood that was like one of the the fairly few like black neighborhoods in Portland and the cops you know went apeshit and started firing impact munitions down Martin Luther King Boulevard and I I I didn't catch myself at first and I was like the cops are now shooting down Martin Luther King
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah yeah
3: you've been in and around like you you live there obviously so who are like who are some of the folks that you've come across that are doing the most to actually help there and what kind of help like is necessary because i feel like one of the one of the things i think is uh, the primary shortcoming of it could happen here is a show so far is that the way Garrison and I phrase it is like a lot of our episodes are here's a problem, goodbye, right? Where we're like, here's a thing that's bad, off we go. Like, so, what I guess the two chief questions I think that need to be answered, because I'm, I'm hoping pretty much everyone here is on board with the border is a nightmare, uh, something's got to be done. What are the kind of things that can actually materially improve people's lives uh, who are being affected by this? Border ecosystem, and then who are the motherfuckers who are actually out there trying to unfuck things that, to the extent that unfucking is doable here?
4: Yeah. um So I think like just to further like uh, make people sad first, like if you look up decolonial atlas southern border, mm-hmm. you can find this map of where migrants die when they're coming to the United States, right? And we often it's constructed in the news media as like it's dangerous crossing Mexico. It is. It's it's dangerous coming across the Darien Gap. Sure, it is but the vast bulk of people die within a few miles of our Southern border. Right. Um, and that's because especially now with the way we've constructed the border wall, uh, right before the, uh, 2020 election, Donald Trump in a debate made claims about how much border wall he'd built. Like everything else, he was full of shit. Uh, so they just tried to build as much as they could between then and the election. So they just skipped the hard parts. They skipped the mountains, they skipped the valleys. And that often forces people to cross in the most arduous terrain. Right. So that, that's increased the amount of people dying. Um, so, we can look broadly at like two categories of support, right? Which are like, um, I guess, like direct aid and then legal aid. So, um, on the legal aid side, the guys who, guys and, and girls and other people who who have been really really helpful are Al uh, lado, to the other side, right? They're their legal aid group. They they were very very cool during the uh, during the migrant care event. Uh, like they and I realize that's something of a loaded phrase, right? I'm just trying to use a word that people don't understand. Um, they were there constantly helping people with good cause letters. They were there filing legal briefs on their behalf. Um, as a result of that, many of them were illegally surveilled by the Department of Homeland Security, uh, With had their phones taken, uh, their communications traced, their movements traced, their network traced, et cetera. Um, they are wonderful people, right? Like They do amazing things with helping people get legal aid. Um, and then you've got the people who are helping people uh while they cross right and there are a number of these mutual aid groups if you're in a certain region uh there is at the border there is probably someone near you i'm no expert on all of them uh but you can look at like no mas muertes in arizona uh armadillos uh, i believe i think they i don't know if they operate also in texas but certainly in, in that california arizona area uh you can look at border angels right border angels are probably the biggest most public facing one and they are fantastic right they're out there making sure that there are caches of water for people who are crossing, making sure that when it's cold at night, there are warm clothes. And when it's hot, there are clothes suitable for that weather, right? Maybe in a new backpack, canned food. They're like doing the active stuff that stops people dying. Um, and it's, that's invaluable, right? And it's also important in terms of showing that like, they'll often write things I've seen, like like you're welcome, right? Welcome to this country or whatever. Like It's showing that, most of us don't agree with this dehumanizing brutalization of migrants that the state is doing on our behalf. And so showing that welcome is very important. There are lots of indigenous groups. Um, I, I did ask if I could name them, but they didn't get back to me, so I don't want to. But like, there are groups within the Odham Nation. There are groups within the Kumeyaay Nation. I'm sure there are groups within other tribes uh, whom the border crossed, right? who lived in, in, in this area long before it was a border, who are also out there helping people. Um, there are also individuals helping people out on their property, right? Um, if you w- if, if you can't find how to donate to one of those groups, you can reach out to me. That's fine. But, yeah, I think the work they're doing is invaluable, both in terms of like showing people that they are welcome and in terms of saving lives, right? More and more people die at the border every year, especially with things like Title 42, which we can get into uh, with yeah, MPP.
3: Let's, let's, let's talk about what Title 42
4: is. Sure. So Title 42, it's, a public, it's part of a public health law. It's very antiquated. I think it was last used in the 1930s. The idea behind it was to stop people with tuberculosis coming into the United States. Uh, and if they, have a, um, um, if they have an infectious or transmissible disease, I think it's called, then they can be immediately sent back without processing, right? Um, this was part of a whole suite of things that they used to do to laborers coming north, right? They would also spray them with uh, all kinds of insecticides, uh, which obviously is not good for the health. Um, so Title 42, the idea being, you know, you g- like if you present to me at the border and I'm a border patrol guy and, and you're like coughing up a lung and, and obviously tuberculous, tuberculous? I don't know. You have tuberculosis, Yeah, tuberculous. Tuber- yeah, yeah. Uh, tuberculastic. Then I will send you back and just be like, no, Robert, fuck off until you're healthy. You're going to infect everyone else here, especially if I detain you. Uh, Now, what it's been used to do with COVID 19 is to not process migrants, right? To do what's called catch and release, just bump them south and let them go. Uh, What that means is that these, so normally you could cross, surrender to a CBP agent. That's another misunderstanding, right? A lot of people will want to surrender, right? That they have no intention of not being processed. for certain countries, there's something called a TPS, which I'll explain in a second. Which, which there would be no reason for them not to be processed. Uh, so these people will cross, and now they could just get dumped on the other side, right? Doesn't matter if they are a person who is pregnant. Doesn't matter if they're elderly. Doesn't matter if they're medically compromised or weak. They can just get dumped. What this has meant is that um, people who are helping them cross, right? People who maybe charge a fee for helping them cross, are offering like crossings without limits. Uh, you know, we'll just try again. Get somewhere else. Try again. And it means, like I said before, because of the combination of this and then this, this hostile infrastructure that we're building, right, this border wall system, that people will try crossing in more and more remote places, right? Uh, and that is when people die crossing. It's when they cry and cross in, in places that are, that are hotter, that are more arduous, right? It requires days of walking sometimes. In like, and I've been in that terrain. I spend a lot of my time out there. And like, for a long time, it's been more or less my job to be outside out there. And it is hard. So, if I imagine crossing with everything I need to start my new life and carrying my child, it's very difficult for me, uh, and and I'm more accustomed to it than most. So, it, it's it's very difficult and forcing people to just kind of bounce back because when we drop someone in Mexico, right, if they are Guatemalan, Honduran, they don't have any network there, right? Uh, it doesn't exactly help. Like, uh, it, it, like sometimes we like this construct that like the the border fuels uh, crime, right? Or, or, or like crime is it? like they they talk about like like uh sometimes cartels is far too broadly used nearly always it's far too broadly used uh but this idea that the border funds uh like drug running an organization such as that it, well you don't fucking help by dumping someone where they have no other means of making a living right where they're going to be very poor and now they don't have any mates they don't have anyone to go to to ask for help right like i don't blame people for trying to find a way to do something so like uh understandably like if and i don't think and I think it's largely a, a lie that, that any significant number of people sort of running drugs across the border are, are migrants or, or um, you know, I think that's that's largely a racist lie. Uh, but leaving people dislocated there is a recipe for poverty. And I, I can't, you know, yeah. things like crime do happen more, I guess, when people are poor and don't have any other options. If that makes sense. If we go back to TPS really quickly, because I think that's important too, temporary protected status, right? Uh, You'll see people on Twitter talking about TPS. Uh, What that basically means is that they can't deport you back to a country. Uh, So it took Biden an obscenely long time to grant a TPS for the people from Ukraine, right? 500 and something people went into the deportation system between the time in uh, like november december when biden's administration started being like there is going to be war in ukraine the russians are going to invade ukraine they were still actively in the process of sending people back to ukraine at that time it wasn't until about a week into the shooting war that they said okay temporary protected status we won't send you back it exists for other countries uh exists for haiti uh it exists for myanmar burma right um don't know if it exists for syria i think it does uh but these countries were basically like we won't send you back there. Um, And and TPS is very important, right? Because it it stops people being deported to places where they will die. Uh, And it's important to understand that, like, you could have everything right in terms of your asylum application and still be sent back. It's a cruel and and very impersonal system. So TPS is important. And if you're into sort of advocating for laws, then it's an important thing to advocate for, I think.
3: Yeah, yeah. In terms of more, I think that's important because we, we, the kind of the electoral side of things is not does not tend to be our focus here, but it's also not useless. Like the border is one of the areas most clearly where you can see both how advocating in that realm can immediately improve people's lives and also how both sides of the political spectrum use the border as a weapon to hurt Pete.
4: Yeah, exactly. The border is definitely a stage for both sides political theater. Like look at Joe Biden, right? He's coming in, he's signing this declaration on the first day. I remember the day he was inaugurated, I went out to the border wall, sat there by myself. and and like wept because it's just this horrible ugly thing uh there's such a scar on a place that i love um and uh he's done fuck all right he's he's deported more people than trump and he's he's building his own biden barrier which is the same thing without an anti-client plate but yeah like even if you don't agree with the existence of laws and lawmakers right there's this concept um that i like a lot called normative anarchism i think it's wolf the guy who wrote it but like we can move towards a state doing less cruelty and being a little more free. And that is a move in the right direction, even if it's not the end goal. And I think the border is a place where you can really make a difference like that, right? Like some small changes um, in how things are done would reduce the cruelty to people who have done nothing wrong massively. So I think it is an area where even those of us who might not be generally inclined to like electoral stuff, like, it, you can, I think... I don't know if you can make a distance because, like, so many people in Milwaukee are watching Fox News and are fucking completely convinced that the border is just, uh, I don't know, people with guns trying to smuggle children or whatever. But, yeah, it's an area where small changes in policy make a huge... Like, Title 42, right? Not even a law. It's an executive... Or it's not even an executive order. It's an interpretation. Uh, The wall, right? Most of that shit wasn't built by Congress. It was built by executive order. So, like that stuff i think is uh a place where you can you can affect positive change for people now unfortunately we've got this giant fucking wall and i don't think it's coming down anytime soon but it doesn't mean we shouldn't actively try to make things kinder for people coming here
5: Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
3: Now, on the direct action side of things, which I, I think more of our audience tends to support, one of the most obvious things is just, like, setting out as you said like drops of water food equipment now that's kind of depending on where you are can be shall we say complex from a legal standpoint can you talk to that a little bit
4: yeah certainly so like the obvious case is the one in arizona right which eventually ended up uh the person was vindicated but um i guess vindicated is the wrong word but
3: not didn't go to prison
4: exactly yeah. yeah yeah um what he was doing was right from the start but uh yeah, it can be complex. I think especially if you're in some of these states which are like uh, doing culture war, right? Like Arizona and Texas. Uh, yeah, the, the the cruelty is kind of the point. So if you are doing something to alleviate that cruelty, making an example of you is very much in the interest of those culture war politicians and judges and, and other people, uh, which is why it's important to do it with a mutual aid group, right? Like these groups are not just like uh, randos. They are extremely organized. I would also just caution that like, Going out into the desert on your own is extremely fucking dangerous. The desert can kill you with heat in day. It can kill you with the cold night, sometimes on the same day and night, right? Uh, this is a hard place. Uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't go out there. You should. It's, it's an amazing place, but, but you should be careful. And you should go with the group. So uh, if you're living somewhere along the border, there is a group of people who are doing this. They will understand what is legal and correct. Like For instance, if you are not a citizen, if you're a green card holder, you should probably not go down to the border with jugs of water. You should maybe do some fundraising. You should you should maybe do something else, uh, and that's fine, right? You're still part of a system which is helping people. Um, but yes, there have been some prosecutions. I think in California there haven't been any, to my knowledge, for a while. Um, there was also some interesting tech developments. Uh, one a few a long time ago now, uh, called the transborder migrant tool, which was mapping out like. What, at the time, we didn't have the border wall then, right? But like, water caches, locations of CBP checkpoints. And then I guess it was using Google Maps to make routes, uh, which uh, it it was created by a faculty member who at the time was at the University of California who faced pretty terrible career repercussions for doing it. Um, But there are things like that that people can do too, right? Which you can do from your bedroom, if, if that's your preference, if that's how you prefer to help. But, yeah, I would caution about just going... Out there, always look for groups. Right there are people for whom this is their entire life of activism. You can also, I'm sure, uh, I hope I'm not putting a bunch of like work on their plate, but talk to Alotrolado. See what they suggest. Right, talk to who? Uh, Alotrolado, the other side. Yeah. That's this legal aid group. Um, you can just call them. I'm sure that their group, their things. They've been very helpful to me when I've been uh, when I've needed help for people I'm working with uh talk to them about what is what is legal and, and sensible and what's not whether it's better to give your money or, or give your time or, or, or what you can do given the resources available to you i guess and you can also just show kindness to refugees in your community too like they're probably there and um, whether or not they're visible is is a different question but that's you know there, there are places where you can help people uh another one i should mention actually just for folks who are inclined to help in a different way, I guess, is, is people just feeding people. Like, I really don't think you can ever blame someone for feeding a hungry person. So food, not bombs. Food, not bombs are always cool, right? Uh, if, you, if you want to do kindness without state, food, not bombs, there is one in your area. Look them up. Um, and World Central Kitchen, which is Jose Andres, the chef. Um,
3: yeah, he's in Ukraine. Right? his guys just got shelled in Ukraine.
4: That's right, yeah, yeah. A number of them got shelled in Kharkiv, I think. Um, those people, like uh i do understand that he has some labor issues
3: yeah although i think he's he recently like came out and said that he had been wrong on that i'd have to double check but
4: yeah that's impressive yeah. like uh i've said this before this dude pivoted his whole life after seeing what happened in haiti to feeding people who are hungry all over the world so i do believe he's capable of change and hopefully he can change and treat his workers with decency and respect as well but Anywhere I am, right, where there is a humanitarian crisis, right, inside the US, outside the US, those people are there first. They're there before the Red Cross and MSF. They don't seem to get tied up in the bureaucratic shit that most large uh, global NGOs do. Like I've been in refugee camps where MSF and Red Cross are outside, not doing anything.
3: Yeah, if you uh, I- anywhere I have been where there are large groups of refugees refugee camps people dealing with violence the uh the most commonly cursed groups are often NGOs
4: yes yeah yeah uh, there, there are you know people in in white land or people in fancy hotel mm-hmm. lobbies you know like and uh, that makes me very angry and very sad but i don't see that with wck like uh i have consistently seen them in just pretty dire situations you know like t- times that uh give me bad sleeps you know and that they're always there helping people so then there are also church groups in lots of communities like i'm not a religious person but like i really can't fault any of these church groups that i've seen coming down from san diego to tijuana to feed and help people but i would probably stay clear of those giant ngos with your giving i've just seen them be so considered bureaucratic and less effective
3: yeah. I mean, one of the rules, this is harder when it's a conflict far from home and, you you know, you see some news that makes you want to help, but you don't have any connections. But if you can ever talk to people on the ground there, it's always best to ask them, like, who's actually doing anything? Because um, sometimes it is MSF, you know, sometimes uh, it, it is one of these larger organizations, but oftentimes they'll tell you, like... You know the 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 group when I was in Mosul that got the most consistent praise from people who were like living there was um, the Free Burma Rangers, right? Like there were all these massive international organizations, but when it came right down to it, the people who were like running under gunfire to pull wounded civilians out were you know those folks.
4: Yeah, uh, yeah, those those guys do some do some very brave stuff, definitely. Um, and yeah, it is normally you can find people on Facebook. Like I've never been in in a sort of situation with a lot of displaced people where people were not actively on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can find people there that just just like you, they just want to have a chat. And it, again, it's nice to have a chat.
3: That's such an important point too, because I think that number one, people are often, and it, it's easier, right? Like everyone has limited time, but you kind of leave it to whatever media you trust to connect you to people in these desperate circumstances. And like people tend to want to connect who are dealing with something like that, who are fleeing violence, who are, and they also are connected. Like they're not separate from the rest of the world just because they've had to leave their home behind and they're not, they're generally not excluded from the information networks that we all exist in.
4: Yeah, um, yeah, I think and sometimes they're portrayed as like um, we talk about them, not to them far too often in the media and that makes me mad, right? Like I see that all the time. I see that happening when I'm doing reporting, right? I'll see people hanging out on the peripheries of these camps. I understand some people are worried about COVID or whatever, but <laughs> so are those people, right? Like uh, to be safe and be sensible. And yeah, they, they, these people want to talk. I remember one thing that always sticks out, well, they want the same things that we want. I remember, so in this 2018 migrant caravan, they were moved from Benito Juarez Sports Complex to this old nightclub uh, a bit further south, but further away from the border, right? And it was a very weird scene. It was this big nightclub with like uh, the mirrors and the, the dancing poles and the disco balls, but it had been like mothballed for like 10 years. It was all dusty. and They had a special room for um, people who were pregnant, people, can, people who had had children, uh, and and the, the, the young children themselves, right? They were sort of just to keep them safe. Um, and we were going there and it was weird because there were still like mirrors on the floor. Um, but then I remember these kids, you talk to them, right? You know, what do you want? And like, first of all, one kid asked me for a teddy bear and it just broke my heart. Like, yeah. I don't know why it just fucking leveled me. Uh, and then they wanted to like, you know, they'd enjoyed the same Disney films that kids here had, right? So my buddy... Uh, managed to acquire a projector. And we went into the ceiling, rigged up this projector, and just set up uh, like Beverly Hills Chihuahua playing on one wall of this nightclub. And these, these kids were like, "Fuck yeah, it's Beverly Hills Chihuahua!" Like, let's go. Like, the, you know, they were just kids watching a film. Like, like, like they can be anywhere else. And it, it's really easy to see them as like different or weak, or you know, the way they're portrayed in the media is like people without agency, and they're not. Like, they've taken huge amounts of agency to try and improve their lives.
3: And it's also so much focus is on these things that aren't, you know, medicine, food, that are necessary, but like having a m- normal moment where you're like a kid watching a cartoon or playing with a toy is also necessary. Yeah, like these children will
4: be scarred by their experiences, right? By whatever's caused them to flee, by the flight itself and by the process of coming to the into the country. But yeah, we should do everything we can to protect them from those traumatic experiences. And just play, like, I cannot count the amount of times I have been like, Shit, housed in a game of football by six-year-olds trying to come to the United States, right? Like so, things like that. I remember someone donated a couple of football goals, and I took them down and set them up. And then, yeah, just having those moments of normalcy, those moments of fun, uh, like little little plastic ukuleles and stuff, like were very important because it let kids be kids, and, and that's you know they have every right to do that.
3: Well, uh, James, I think that's gonna make a sode for us. You want to throw your pluggables in before we roll out?
4: Yeah. Uh, I want to plug like like I said before doing things to help people outside of networks that let people have power over people uh, so do that first and then yeah you can put my name James Stout into Twitter and find me I have a Patreon by the same thing I write about the border a lot you can see it in um, if I just plug one popular P-O-P-U-L-A uh, I wrote about the 2018 migrant caravan so you can read my writing there uh, feel free to message me if you want to find any of these groups and you can't yeah that's about all
3: all right. Well, that's going to do it for us. Uh, go do something good.
1: It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening.